Well, howdy, Huda Thunker. This is the host of the Huda Thunker podcast, Zeb, coming at you with episode 145 uh, that I've titled Unwillingly Kept Alive. And it's not a happy story, just so you know. It's quite gruesome, quite dark, and it's a true story. But it is interesting. And I wanted to do an episode on it because it fascinated me in a macabre kind of way. Before we get into it, though, I do have the recommendation segment here where I recommend you check something out, book, movie, life experience, what have you, just something I recommend. This week, I recommend Severance. Shannon and I binged this show. It's nine one-hour-long episodes. There's The episodes are one hour long. There's nine of them. We binged all nine in just one weekend, which is a lot, I know, but it sucks you right in. Apple TV's Severance is an overlooked gem, and that... One thing right there, it's on Apple TV. I feel like not many people are going to watch it. Um, I don't know why. Everyone I talk to are like, yeah, I don't have Apple TV, which I'm not saying I, don't, I technically don't have it either. I'm, I'm using Shannon's, I'm using a, 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 an acquaintance's Apple TV. And so I get it. Not many people have it, but there are lots of good shows on there. If you can find them some other way. Here's the plot. Mark leads a team of office workers whose employ- whose memories have been surgically divided between their work and personal lives. When a mysterious colleague appears outside of work, it begins a journey to discover the truth about their jobs. It's pretty simple. It's kind of like a sci-fi, but not like space sci-fi. Just a simple idea, futuristic idea, that I don't think technology can do right now. Not that we know of. <clears throat> And put that into, you know, and into a, a story and have really good actors play it. Adam Scott plays the main character. He's great. He's from, um, I know him from Parks and Rec, but he's been in a couple other things. Christopher Walken's in there. Um, great cast. Great acting. And uh, another big name, Ben Stiller, directs it along with Alfie McCardle. But Ben Stiller is, you know, he's a big name. It's won, it had t- quite a lot of nominations. Primetime Creative Arts Emmy Award for Outstanding Main Title Design. Uh, the main title theme is amazing. I hardly ever skipped it. I thought the, the music was really good. Um, very unsettling, but that's a, that, was the, that was the point to unsettle you and get you in the headspace of the, of the, uh, of the show. AFI TV Programs of the Year. Genres, it, I say sci-fi, and I think technically it is sci-fi because it's science fiction. Our sciences can't technically do this yet. Um, but it's also known as a psychological thriller, mystery, drama, utopia, and dystopia fiction. One thing I would say, it's kind of a comedy. There are moments that are like dark and hilarious. First episode date uh, released came out February 18th, 2022. So the full season is out now. I'm ho- it was renewed for a season two. Um, we're February 2023 is coming up close and there's no release date. So I don't know what's going on with that. Um, and sometimes a show is great and the first season's amazing. And then second season, you're like, ah, it doesn't feel like season one. I get that. So just try to ex- enjoy season one. Cause I tell you it's amazing. And then it has a 97% on Rotten Tomatoes. So check it out. I have some images on the blog, give you an idea of what it's about. It's, it's like an office um, dark comedy is what I would call it. Arc, office dark comedy sci-fi. Now for the main event. <clears throat> for this true story, I'm going to ask you to flip your calendars back to 1961, Thunkers, the year Japan built uh, Japan built their first commercial nuclear power plant. Before I go any further, like I said, this is a dark and macabre story. If you're unsettled by gruesome things, um, suffering, and you know, maybe not, maybe set this one out, but. It is quite dark. 
So, uh, they built their first nuclear power plant in 1961 in Japan. Japan, also known as Nippon Koku, is a nation <clears throat> with few natural resources. Before nuclear power, they relied heavily on expensive imports for their energy. So, when Japan created their first nu nuclear power plant in 1961, it was just the beginning. It became quite the thing over there. First, uh, fast forward just four years later to 1965, and they won Hisashi Oichi. Um, this story's main character is born. So, Hisashi Oichi, main, main character for this true story, he's born in 1965. We got a picture of him, a little fuzzy, outdated, but, you know, gets the idea. He looks like a strapping young man, strapping young Japanese dude. Oichi would grow up serving his country by working in the uh, Tokaimura power plant. Uh, the power plant's location in Tokaimura was ideal due to the abundant landscape <clears throat> or land space, and it led to a whole campus of nuclear reactors, research institutes, f fuel enrichment, and disposal facilities. Ultimately, one-third of the city's entire population would rely on the nuclear industry and industry rapidly growing in the Ibaraki Prefecture, northeast of Tokyo. The plant covered uh, uranium hexafluoride into enriched uranium for nuclear energy purposes. This was typically done with a careful multi-step process that involved mixing several elements in a carefully timed sequence. In March of 1997, the Tokai plant exploded, had an accident. When the government stepped in, they attempted a cover-up to hide the blatant negligence going on at the plant. It shocked the nearby residents, irradiating some of them. But the horror of this explosion in 1997 was nothing compared to what would happen just two years later. It was 1999 when the plant officials thought that they could speed up the process of their multi-step uh, fuel mixture system to meet deadlines with ease. They thought they would experiment with nuclear fission. Not a good idea, uh, but experiment on the fly. On September 28, 1999, the Mura plant had missed a deadline for creating fuel for the reactor. So they were supposed to have it done by September 28th. They didn't. So on the morning of September 30th, 1999, when Hisashi Oichi's going into work at Japan's Tokaimura nuclear power plant, a young Hisashi Oichi was just beginning his day. Hisashi Oichi, uh, his 29-year-old peer Masato Shinohara, and their 59-year-old supervisor uh, Yutaka Yokokawa uh, tried a shortcut. Not a good idea. They missed the deadline. They tried to think of something on the fly. Kind of makes sense if you're a carpenter, if you're a, maybe even a plumber, if you're if you're a construction worker. Hey, this isn't working. Hey, we missed a deadline. Let's just sort of wing it, figure it out where um, stakes are a little bit lower. Me in the office, if I miss a deadline with a form, you know, maybe I can maybe I can fudge the books and say I submitted it two days earlier. Not saying I do that if my boss is listening. <laughs> I haven't. I don't do that. But I'm just saying different jobs you can do that you can fudge the books make shortcuts and the risk is maybe you get yelled at or maybe in construction maybe you lose a finger not with nuclear fission i i this isn't a warning because i feel like it's <laughs> everyone should know this don't make shortcuts in nuclear fission the plant where he worked <clears throat> was under a lot of stress to meet deadline after deadline shortcuts were constantly being made to save money and the subsequent years that followed were rife with breaches in safety protocol. The plant was only inspected two times a year by the state regulator. It had never been inspected while the plant was in operation. In hindsight, the Tokaimura plant probably should have been shut down for inspection long before September 30th, 
But while hindsight is 2020, that morning, Oichi's bosses at the Japan Nuclear Fuel Conversion Company, JCO, told him and two of his co-workers to mix another batch of fuel just on the fly. On top of the shortcuts and seeming indifference to safety, Oichi and his co-workers were not properly trained to do the job they were asked to complete. Oichi and Shinohara were mixing a batch of fuel containing uranium in a stainless steel tank, a bucket, while Yokai, Yoko Kawa, the supervisor, uh, was sitting at a desk about 4 meters or 13 feet away. They mixed the nuclear fuel materials by hand. I know very little about nuclear fission. I do have a buddy who who went to college for that. Corey, if you're listening, uh, I, I, I'm not an expert like people who went to college like my buddy Corey. But I, if I had to guess, you don't mix nuclear fuel materials by hand. The amount of uranium used that day by the untrained men was seven times more than the correct amount that it was that that was poured into the wrong tank. So they used uranium, and they used too much uranium, seven times too much, and then they poured it into a tank, a bucket, that wasn't meant to hold this kind of highly poisonous element. Out of the three workers mixing one of the most dangerous concoctions of all time that morning, Oichi was the one standing directly over the vessel used to contain the mixture. <clears throat> Though his body was taking on the most of the, the entire room, taking on the most radiation, the entire room was being flooded with gamma rays, unbeknownst to the three men. None of them had any idea what they were doing. And that is... I'm just gonna... None of them had any idea what they were doing. They were mixing nuclear fuel materials in a bucket with their hands. Instead of using atomic... Uh, automatic pumps to mix 5.3 pounds of enriched uranium with nitric acid in a de designated vessel. They used their hands to pour 35 pounds of it into, a, into steel buckets. They started this work at 10 a.m. By 10.35 a.m., the uranium reached critical mass. Not good. It reached critical mass in a bucket that they were mixing by hand. The room exploded with a blue flash that confirmed that a nuclear chain reaction had occurred and was releasing lethal emissions of radiation. Not where it's, it's a nuclear power plant. I'm sure that happens sometimes. Not in a bucket in the room where they're mixing stuff with their hands. Horrible, horrible, horribly untrained, horribly safe, horrible amounts of safeguards being ignored. It's crazy. Eventually, the local towns were evacuated to stay safe from the harmful gamma rays, but Oichi and his co-workers weren't so lucky. They didn't they didn't get small amounts like the local village did. Oichi was taken to the hospital where his condition shocked the doctors treating him. He had almost zero white blood cells. He had virtually no immune system, so he was kept in a special radiation ward to protect him from pathogens from the outside world and from the hospital. The first place Oichi and his co-workers, uh, Yutaka Yokokawa, and Masato, Masato Shinohara were taken to the National Institute of Radio, Radiological Sciences in Shiba. All three of the men were exposed to radi the radiation, but because of where they were positioned in the room in relation to the reactor, reactor fuel mix, they didn't all get the same amount of radiation. <clears throat> Just a quick lesson here about radiation, what it does, uh, real quick, give you an idea here. The sievert or SV, is the, it's, a, it's, a, it's a measurement. Sievert, I think that's how you pronounce it, Sievert, 
SV is what I'm going to call it from here on out. The SV is the International System of Units derived unit for dose equivalent radiation that takes into account the relative biological effectiveness of different forms of ionizing radiation. It is intended to represent the stochastic health risk of ionizing radiation, which is defined as the probability of causing radiation-induced cancer and genetic damage. The SV or sievert is important in dosimetry, dosimetry and radiation protection. The rule of thumb is that seven SVs is enough to kill a person. Give you an idea of reference of what I'm about to tell you. What, how much radiation these guys got. Seven is enough to kill someone. Seven SVs. <clears throat> and here's what nuclear radiation does. 101. Nuclear radiation affects the atoms in our bodies by removing electrons. This breaks the bonds between atoms, including DNA and water in our bodies, damaging them. If your DNA gets damaged enough, cells can't replicate and they die. Those that can still replicate create more damaged cells. When damaged cells multiply, it creates cancer. Yutaka Yokokawa, the supervisor, the guy that was 13 feet away at a desk, was exposed to three SVs, three sieverts. He would be the only man out of the three Tokai Mura plant workers that day to survive. Masato Shinohara was exposed to 10 SVs. Remember, seven is enough to kill you. Hisachi Oichi, our main character here, <clears throat> as the one who stood directly over the steel bucket used to improperly mix the nuclear reactor fuel, was exposed to 17 SVs, the most radiation that any human being has ever, ever suffered from. Now, with an asterisk, I... Googled that to make sure that's correct. All the articles were saying it. I want to make sure it's correct. I did find a story of a guy who was exposed, <clears throat> supposedly survived the highest known accumulated radiation dose in, in human, in any human, but that's a very different story. Like he was injected and it was over time. So they, it was like 64 SVs, but that was over the course of like 20 years. But you know, it's a different story. But all at once, Oichi, Hisachi Oichi suffered the most radiation that any human being has ever suffered. I do have a link to the other guy who suffered 65 SVs over 20 years. It's a weird story. I might do it on a podcast on it. But Oichi's story is not like his. That guy survived because it was over 20 years. This is different. Oichi's pain began immediately. <clears throat> he could barely breathe right off the bat. Could barely breathe. Started vomiting violently right off the bat. And, and then became unconscious. And that's sort of how it was even after they got him to the hospital. Vi violently vomit. Pass out. Uh, Masato, uh, his, his co-worker, <clears throat> Masato Shinohara, after the blue flash, after the critical mass moment, tried to run, made three steps, passed out. <sighs> Oichi, like I said, barely breathed, vomiting, passing out. He was also crying blood, covered in red radiation burns. And after just three days in the National Institute of Radiological Sciences in Chiba, with doctors assessing each of the three men's internal organs, they were transferred to the University of Tokyo Hospital. There, they attempted revolutionary stem cell treatments. His first week at the University of Tokyo Hospital in the ICU, or the intensive care unit, was full of agonizing skin graft after skin graft and blood transfusion after blood transfusion. They just kept pumping blood into Oichi and putting skin grafts on him. For, for the most part, we're going to be talking about Oichi. We'll come back to the other 
people a little bit, but mostly this is about Oichi because he's the one that sort of topped the charts on the amount of radiation anyone's ever gotten all at once. <clears throat> this was all they could do to keep him alive. Pump him full of blood and start putting skin grafts all over his body. That's when Hisamura Hirai, a cell transplant specialist, said they should try something risky. It was unheard of to treat radiation patients with stem cell transplants, but then again, Luigi had been exposed to an unheard of amount of radiation. The stem cells worked. They gave Luigi's body a chance to create new blood. His sister donated her own stem cells to help with these treatments. But then they started to take a closer look at Oichi's body, and the scope of his condition became clear. The photos of his chromosomes were disturbingly informative. His chromosomes were obliterated by radiation. They had shattered, quote, shattered like glass, were the notes that were written. They could not be identified or arranged. Without chromosomes, his cells could not regenerate, and his body could not heal. His white blood cell count was zero. All transplanted blood would quickly need to be transplanted again for more new blood because the radiation running through his body would destroy the introduced blood cells pretty quickly. There were there there are images of Oichi's body, and there are images of his chromosomes. Um, I chose I chose not to show the images of his body in the hospital. Feel free to Google image search. If uh, you'd like, but be warned, they're gruesome. It's kind of not... I didn't want to just post disturbing images. It, it, it felt kind of messed up, but it's pretty easy. We all have access to the internet. If you're listening to this, you definitely do. The photos of his body show that the uncountable skin grafts the hospital put on his body were doing very little. Uh, his DNA couldn't rebuild itself. His skin was melting. On like genetic level... He wasn't really Oichi anymore. His DNA was gone. It wasn't long before his skin started to melt off of him and he cried tears of blood, begging to see his mother. His body leaked as he endured a level of agony unseen on this earth. I can't imagine. Um, being buried alive seems pretty messed up, but radiation, this amount of radiation poisoning, no thank you. When he was first brought into the hospital, Oichi did not seem to understand the severity of his radiation poisoning, often asking when he could go home and asking if this could cause leukemia. But a few weeks later, he began to beg for death. He reportedly said things like, I can't take it anymore. I'm not a guinea pig. His family, the ones not experiencing his intense pain, insisted that he be kept alive. On day 27, 27, after the incident, Oichi's intestines started to, quote, to melt. Three weeks later, he started hemorrhaging. He began receiving blood transfusions sometimes as many as 10 in 12 hours. He began losing a significant amount of fluids, 10 liters, or over 2.5 gallons a day, through his skin. So they wrapped him completely in galls. He was bleeding from his eyes. His wife said that it looked he, like he was crying blood. Oichi started receiving daily skin transplants uh, using artificial skin, but they wouldn't stick to his body. His muscles began to fall off the bone. Like I said, the images are gruesome. I kind of wish I didn't see them. On the 59th day after the accident at Tokai Mura power plant, Oichi, or what was left of him, suffered from numerous heart attacks. But the hospital staff would revive him over and over again. Because of the way, because of the way end-of-life laws are set up in Japan, 
If his family wished it, he had to be revived at all cost. His family insisted he be kept alive for as long as physically possible. They wanted him to be resuscitated every time he died. Yeah. On that 59th day, Oichi had three heart attacks in just one hour. This severely damaged his brain and kidneys. At this point, Oichi was on life support. The melting mass that was once Hisachi Oichi suffered before his final escape in the form of a final cardiac arrest 83 days after being admitted to the hospital. 83 days after the accident. 83 days. With his DNA obliterated and his brain damage increasing every time he died, Oichi's fate had long been sealed. It was only a merciful final cardiac arrest due to multiple multi-organ failure on December 21st, 1999 that released him from the pain. So, yeah, unwillingly kept alive and quite possibly the worst possible way to die. Yeah. To wrap things up, what happened to everybody else? What happened to the town? What happened to the plant? The following paragraphs, the rest of the, par- the episode I'm going to be reading, is from allthatsinteresting.com and I can't believe it's not fiction.com. The immediate aftermath of the Tokaimura nuclear accident saw 310,000 villagers within six miles of the Tokai facility ordered to stay indoors for 24 hours. Over the next 10 days, 10,000 people were checked for radiation, with more than 600 people suffering low levels. There was no critical accident alarm at the facility. When the accident first occurred, other workers were unaware of the emergency. After they were made aware, there was confusion as to whether or not the danger had passed. This led to three members of emergency personnel being unexpectedly exposed while trying to rescue the workers inside. Because the plant was not included in the national plan for the prevention of nuclear disasters, immediate protocols for the protection of individuals outside of the plant were not in place. Workers at a lumberyard very near to the plant were not evacuated until 3 p.m. That's four and a half hours after the reaction. So, so many corners were cut here. But none suffered as much as Hisachi Oichi and his colleague Masato Shinohara. Shinohara spent seven months fighting for his life. He too had received blood stem, sorry, blood stem cell transfusions. In this his case, doctors took them from the uh, umbilical cord of a newborn, which is commonplace. They didn't kill the newborn. That's, you know, um, that's typical. Shinohara seemed to be getting better. On New Year's Day in 2000, he was taken in his wheelchair to visit the hospital gardens. However, in late February 2000, Shinohara contracted pneumonia, and the damage to his lungs from the radiation meant that he needed to be put on a ventilator. This prevented him from speaking, so he had to write messages to nurses and family. Some of the last words written by Shinohara were, Mommy, please. Tragically, neither the stem cell transfusion approach, nor skin grafts, blood transfusion, or cancer treatments had worked. He died of lung and liver failure on April 27th of 2000. As for the supervisor, the third guy of the two deceased workers, uh, the supervisor of the two deceased worker, Yoko Kawa, was released after three months of treatment. He had suffered minor radiation sickness and survived, but he faced criminal charges of negligence on October 2000. Um, JCO, meanwhile, would pay $121 million to settle 6875 compensation claims from the affected locals. In reaction to the accident, 
which was found to be completely the result of human error, that's at least what they found, the Tokai Mura power plant was fully automated and fitted with neutron monitoring equipment. Tokai Mura had a history of taking shortcuts and putting their employees at risk to speed up production. The deaths of Oichi and Shinohara were the ultimate penalty for their carelessness. One year after the devastating accident, six employees were arrested and charged with negligence. One of the six was Yoko Kawa, the supervisor, who claimed he, quote, forgot or was not aware of the dangers in the plant. He pled guilty. At, at the time, Japan generated approximately... At the... Yeah. Uh, Japan generated approximately one-third of its electricity from nuclear power. The nuclear power plant on Tokai, Tokai Mura, continued to operate under a different company for more than a decade until it shut down automatically during the 2011 to Tohoku earthquake and tsunami. It has not operated since. So yeah, now you know why I called it Unwillingly Kept Alive. Both Oichi, or Hisachi Oichi and Mosato uh, Shinohara kept alive unwillingly. And what seems to be like one of the worst... Uh, one of the worst ways to go. And this wasn't necessarily malicious. Someone didn't want to cause these guys pain. It's just negligence. Just being lazy. Just trying to cut corners, meet deadlines. Casual buildup of negligence. I don't know. What are you supposed to learn from this? Just don't be lazy, especially when the risks are this high. And also, you know, I think cultures and we as a society should respect someone's end-of-life wishes. Oichi was like, kill me, I don't want to do this. And his family's like, keep him alive for as long as you can, which turned out to be months of suffering. And trust me, if you see the images, yeah, they should have let him go. Anyway, fun little ditty for you today <laughs> to pick you up. I don't know if it interests you, but thanks for listening, Huda Thunkers. Hope you'd enjoyed in some way. Maybe find a little interest in that. Uh, another good, if you want to learn about what radiation does to people, the Chernobyl, HBO's Chernobyl miniseries, haunting, haunting what they showed. It's a similar idea, negligence, people being lazy, not understanding the science and people being untrained, same idea. And HBO did it best with Chernobyl. Everyone loved it. After the first Game of Thrones ended, first Game of Thrones series finally ended, they came out with Chernobyl and people were like, wow, HBO still got it. So watch Chernobyl as well. Um... Yeah. Thanks for listening. Tune in next time.